Turn in your Bible to Zechariah chapter, chapter 4, verse 6. Well, I'm going to read the first part too, beginning with verse 1. Zechariah is second to the end of the Old Testament. There's Zechariah, then Malachi, and then Matthew. Zechariah is one of those wonderful 14-chapter prophecies that has so much to say about the coming of the Messiah. We're going to just dwell with a few of these verses beginning in chapter 6, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep and said unto me, What seest thou? I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick all of gold and a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof. And two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spoke unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Amen. Judah had fallen under the captivity of the Babylonians in 585 B.C. The Babylonians had come actually in 606 B.C. and led some into Babylonian captivity. Among those were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were now over in Babylon. Ezekiel became a prophet in the Babylonian captivity. Zechariah is preaching to the generation who have gone into captivity. The city was burned, the walls were destroyed, and that great temple built about 1000 BC was destroyed by the Babylonians. It was all in ruins. About 70 years later, from 606, Cyrus the Persian was touched by the pathos of Daniel the prophet. And he gave an edict that those who would like to go back to the land of Palestine could go with his blessing. And they were given materials that they could once again build the temple in Jerusalem. There were other interruptions. 50,000 of those folks in Babylonian captivity went back to Jerusalem area and they banded together to rebuild that city and especially the temple. There were interruptions and all kinds of opposition. Zerubbabel and Joshua, the governor and the high priest, led in the rebuilding of the temple. Just as Nehemiah had led in rebuilding the walls, these led in building the temple. Now you just turn to Nehemiah and you'll read about all the opposition they had. They were ridiculed. Somebody said, if you build a wall, a little squirrel can climb up on that wall and tear the wall down. They were just making fun of them. Force. They came at Jerusalem with force 
to try to stop the rebuilding of the temple. Discouragements. The scripture says there was so much to be done that the people's hearts got discouraged and they stopped for a while. Then sometimes they were filled with fear of the enemy. Sometimes they just got selfish inside and said, what am I doing this for? I'm just going to go and take care of my own home and house. I'm not going to bother about the temple of God. Then there was guile and craft and slander and threats. Every kind of enemy and opposition that you and I face today when God gives us an assignment to perform. In the face of all this, God gives a promise. He says, the lampstand of gold points to Christ the light and his godly gold character. The bowl on top is his deity. The seven lamps are fed by the oil of the Spirit from the deity, and they do their burning because they're in constant touch with the Lord God. Amen. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. Ladies and gentlemen, we can't let the light shine unless he shines through us. Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And the only way that can continue, just as the oil in a lamp must produce that which causes the lamp to burn, those lights around the lampstand got their power to burn from the oil of God giving them that, that ability to burn. That's what you and I need. Well, there were two olive trees. Now, what do they stand for? Why well, he said they're, they're the two anointed witnesses in the Old Testament, Zerubbabel and Joshua. But they pointed down to something even later. In Revelation chapter 11, we have two witnesses. Now, God empowers his witnesses to get the job done. The Lord always uses human instruments. Listen, he may get our attention with a storm. We may live through a hurricane or a tornado or a hailstorm. But God uses people. I remember when the hail came and knocked out all those windows, August, April 16th, two years ago. That night we were here sweeping up glass and so on. And here came Mel Norris with some plywood. And immediately that same night put those plywood up there to board it up. It was boarded up for six months. But God used people to do that. It didn't just suddenly appear. God used people. And friend, God uses you. And sometimes the task is so huge, so big. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to deal with it. And God said, don't worry, Zerubbabel. Don't worry, Joshua. Don't worry, Zechariah. He says, it is not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. The task can be accomplished, but it must be done by his spirit. The temple rebuilt with all the opposition and the ridicule and the slander and the threats and the forces against it. Oh yeah, it can be built. 
But remember, it's not going to be because of your might, because you're somebody, nor your personality, nor your persuasiveness. It's going to be built as you depend on the Holy Spirit as the reserve to just feed your life. Some moms and dads in this room today have little children, and you wonder, how in the world can I make it for these next 18 years and take care of these little ones and help them to grow in the Lord? Well, you can't, except the Spirit of God enable you. Some of you have gone into businesses, and you think, how in the world can I accomplish the business and keep my head above water and have the financial needs I need? If you're a Christian, you have a secret weapon. That weapon is prayer and giving yourself to the Spirit of God. The passage Brother Teddy read a little while ago from Ephesians reminds us that the free gift of God in our lives is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. And He is the earnest of our expectation until we get to heaven. Somebody says, I'm going to heaven. Some skeptic says, how do you know? (laughs) He says, God told me, the Spirit of God in my heart witnessed with the Word of God that I'm a citizen of heaven. Listen, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4.30, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption, but let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind, tenderhearted one to another, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. That precious Holy Spirit is the oil that will allow us to burn for Christ and to be a lighthouse in a dark, dark shore where the waves are about to toss people down into the rocky clefts. But you and I can be a lighthouse. Oh, not because we're powerful, not because we're strong, not because we have a good personality, not because we're handsome or pretty, not because we wear nice clothes, but because of the oil of the Spirit of God. O river of God, flow down on me. O river of God, flow out through me. O river of God, I thirst for thee. The river of God, the precious Holy Spirit. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. These two witnesses receive their witnessing power from the oil of the Spirit. He didn't say, Zerubbabel and Joshua and Zechariah, you go down there and preach and you go build the temple because you're so strong and you're a good craftsman and you know how, all about how to do it. No, he said, it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit. When we depend on money, we get what money can give, and that's pretty good. When we depend on education, we get what education can provide, and that's very good. But when we depend on prayer, we, de- we depend on what God can do, and that's everything. And God will bless us. Then not only are there symbols in this passage, there's a sacred trust. Just as Zerubbabel and Joshua were trusted by God and empowered by him to build and refashion the temple and reestablish sacrificial system, so God has given us a huge task. He's given us a task of reaching six billion people on this earth. You think of that. 
until the 1800s, there was only one billion. In 1940, there were four billion. A few years ago, there were five billion. And now they say the world population goes up a billion every 40 years. And we need to reach them. Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth and to the end of the age. God will enable us, but he's the enabler. He has done it in the past. I think of 1955, a little group of people began to meet in a house over on Jones Avenue. One man mortgaged his house so the place would have, people would have a place to meet. And then in that summer, they organized the Glendale Baptist Church. No money. 1957, the first structure over here had to excavate and dig out all this valley. This was just a sinkhole. And they put rocks and refrigerators and everything else under that area over there to build it up. And then this new building. We had chairs in those days. Then in 1959, we built that flat roof building. No money. We had $50 in the bank. And our committee of faith said, let's do it. With $50, we hired a Derrick. First thing he did, did was to hit a water main and the water went everywhere. A lady listening to our radio broadcast, the anchor broadcast, called me the next day and said, could you use $25,000 on your building? <clears throat> Listen, God blesses as we move out in faith, knowing that it's not our might nor our power, but his spirit, his direction. He gives the direction. Same thing's true in our private lives. When we give to the Lord that which is His, we may not have enough left over to take care of all the bills, but put your faith in God. God will enable you. He'll bless you. There's no disappointment in Jesus. He's all that He said He would be. Well, 1972, built that children's wing, no money. 1962, we built this auditorium, no money. A few years ago, the Lord laid on this heart, church, church's heart to, to buy that property out on Cave Mill, no money. Borrowed the whole amount. Now listen, when we got ready to have a bus ministry, we had no money. We borrowed $80,000 to buy those buses, those red, white, and blue buses. Somebody said the other day, some, somebody told me, that you, they, somebody gave them to you. <laughs> it was blood, sweat, and tears, folks. <laughs> we, 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 well, they got paid for, but the, the Lord did it, see. And he did it through the faith of God's people. The same thing is true when we bought that property, no money, now it's paid off. How come? Because we went by faith and did it, and God took care of it. Now there's a philosophy today that says don't uh, do anything until you have all the money in the bank. Most of us would never do anything. We'd still be in a house over on Jones Avenue if we did that. I believe when God directs, 
he supplies. And when we move out on faith, it's like being saved. You can cling to a bench and you can say, I'm not ready. I don't really know how I could ever live a Christian life. I think I wouldn't be able to hold out true to the end. You can say that until you die and go to hell. Or you can say, I don't understand it, but by faith, I'm gonna put my trust in Jesus who paid the price for my sin. And I'm gonna move out on faith. Listen, it is not by power or might, but by his spirit. And if his spirit is dealing with your heart this morning, let him come in, let him empower you, let him give you all you need to do the work that God has called you to do. Our nation needs revival. Someone sent this to me the other day. I feel like I ought to share it with you, listen. When Minister Joel Wright was asked to open the new session of the Kansas Senate, everyone was expecting the usually usual political correct generalities. But what they heard instead was a stirring prayer, passionately calling our country to repentance and righteousness. The response was immediate. A number of the legislators walked out during the prayer as a protest. In six short weeks, the Central Christian Church had logged more than 5,000 phone calls with only 47 of those calls responding negatively. The church is now receiving requests for copies of the prayer from India, Africa, and Korea. Commentator Paul Harvey aired the prayer on the rest of the story and received a larger response to this program than it ever aired. Here's the prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness and to seek your direction and guidance. We know your word says, woe on those who call evil good, but that is exactly what we have done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium and reversed our values. We confess that we have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word and called it pluralism. We have worshiped other gods and called it multiculturalism. We've endorsed perversion and called it an alternate lifestyle. We have exploited the poor and called it the lottery. We have neglected the needy and called it self-preservation. We have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We have killed our unborn children and called it a choice. We have shot abortionists and called it justifiable. We have neglected to discipline our children and called it building self-esteem. We have abused power and called it political savvy. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, O oh God, and know our hearts today. Cleanse us from every sin and set us free. Guide and bless the men and women who have been sent to direct us to the center of your will. I ask it in the name of your Son, the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody like that would stand and pray in our National Congress, Amen. in our Supreme Court? Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody would pray like that in our homes and ask God, God, it's time for you to do something. We've tried and failed. We've messed it all up. But you never mess anything up. Not by power, not persuasiveness of our personality, not by the wealth we have in the banks, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Is God dealing with your heart about some matter? 
I've heard people say, well, I can't teach Sunday school. You probably can't, but the Spirit of God through you can. In Louisville, Brother Lonnie had a man come to his church, couldn't read or write, could hardly carry on a conversation. He asked Brother Lonnie if he could have a bus go pick up people. And Lonnie sort of begrudgingly gave him a bus, just an experiment. That guy brought in 50 people the first day. He consistently has over 100 on his bus. How does he do it? He's not pretty, not handsome, not intelligent. He just, the Holy Spirit uses him. Listen, boys and girls, if you'd give yourself to the Holy Spirit, he'd use you. If you'd say, Spirit of God, breathe on me, fill me with your heart, your life, your love, your power, he'll do it. He's waiting for someone to invite him in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. God is calling some of you to be preachers, to be teachers, to be missionaries, to be servants of God, to be a homemaker, to build be a breadwinner. God wants you to do it, but you can't do it by yourself. If you do, you'll fail. I think there are a lot of parents in our generation, and I'm sorry to say this. I don't know whether it's my generation or the next generation but they raise their parents like they're raising animals. They raise their children like they were raising animals. And instead of investing in them the value of authority, even a rod of correction, they just sort of said, well, I don't want to hurt the self-esteem of my little boy or little girl. Let them do what they want to. Some of you that come on the buses, I'm sorry, your parents can't be here to help you know how to behave in the house of God. You're doing pretty good this morning, just keep at it. But see, when the parents can't do it, then we have to do it. And bus pastors have to do it. And, and deacons have to do it. And others in the church. And the, and the same way with all of our lives. If we do not learn how to follow the Lord, then later we learn it in a hard, hard way. Man. Tragic way. Man. I know a man that in his early life was called to serve God. He had every opportunity. I don't know what kind of home he grew up in. I knew his family, but I don't know what they did at home. He had great promise. He's now serving a life term in a prison. He didn't let the Holy Spirit be the oil that would fill his life. Today you're here, it's no accident you're here. God brought you here. And if you will just invite Jesus to come and take possession, he'll give you the power and the strength to walk down this aisle, take an open stand for God. And as you face some difficult obstacle and tough thing, don't depend on your might, don't depend on your personality, don't depend on your looks, don't depend on your money, depend on him and launch out by faith. Peter stood in that boat. The Lord was walking on the sea and Peter said, Lord, is that really you? If it's really you, bid me to come. And his eyes were so on Jesus, he stepped out of that boat and started to walk on water. You can do the same thing. And then he looked down, saw he was doing what somebody, nobody else had ever done and he began to sink. See, he put his mind back on himself. If you'll keep your eyes on Jesus, church, 
If you keep your eyes lifted up on him, what on earth does God want you to do for heaven's sake? And then just start at it by faith, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. And Zerubbabel and Joshua accepted that challenge and they rebuilt the temple, that beautiful, beautiful temple in Jerusalem, later destroyed when the Romans came in 70 AD, never built again, but it can be. And the thing that God is more interested in than that temple in Jerusalem is the temple of our life. Amen. Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? He dwells inside of you. And as we allow the Spirit to take control, He'll guard our lips, He'll guard our mind, He'll guard our hands and our feet and our actions. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage from Zechariah and how it encourages us and reminds us that it's not because we're strong or powerful or wealthy, but if we allow the Holy Spirit to fill our lives, he is the oil that can make us burn for Christ and to be a lighthouse to this city individually as persons, as Christians, and then as a church. God, lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. Jesus is tenderly calling thee home, calling today. Turn to number 348. Jesus is tenderly calling thee home, calling. Will you let him have his way with you? While we begin to sing, will you come?